Her name is Tina Wang. She's a bilingual journalist covering cultural stereotypes and including gender and sexuality, arts, business, and technology. Her recent work appears in Time, HuffPost, Teen Vogue, Vice, The Daily Beast, and Inc. Magazine. Today, she's the director of the events at Asian American Journalist Association, the New York chapter, also known as AAJA. Now, as a journalist and a visual storyteller, she's constantly speaking for cultural minority groups whose voices are buried in the mainstream discourses. Our conversation, we will dive deep into Tina's culture, womanhood, and her successful career. Welcome Xion Tian, also known as Tina Wang. Hey, Lita. Hi, Tina. Thank you for joining me. You know, Tina, I uh, I read about you, and um, at the age of 18, you lived in the USA, away from home. What made you decide to take that decision? Yeah, for sure. So um, my name is Tina, and I was born and raised in China. So my parents often tell me, not to stick my neck out, um, you know, do not judge and just listen. So I'm not like a rebel as a kid, um, even a bit shy in middle school, but I'm pretty outspoken um, with words. I often found myself challenging the cultural norms as a young girl living in the country. Um, I don't like my parents or my relatives making comments about, you know, how women's personality and wardrobe may impact their relationships. And I often write it down uh, how I would argue with them because I'm too scared to argue in their faces. But, you know, as a kid, I always had this urge um, to tell stories and share my thoughts with the world. Um, I remember at that time, um, I was fascinated by the publication Vice and um, all their documentaries and thought-provoking articles. So when I was studying at an international high school in China, I know coming to the U.S. and studying mass communication is like my path. I always wanted my voice to be heard. And um, even when I was studying in high school, I created a little group and producing videos and articles um, with a couple of my friends. We interviewed artists, um, principals, professors on timely topics. So I would say um, I always love storytelling. That's quite intriguing, actually, especially when you mentioned uh, that as a young kid, um, you know, a woman's choices, they were determined by the wardrobe. Could, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when I was a child, um, I love wearing dresses. And um, you've seen um, women in the magazines um, are wearing this, you know, very fashionable clothing, sometimes short skirts, um, short pants. But, um, you know, when I was growing up, a lot of my um, female relatives are telling me that um, you should not wear dresses that, um, you know, lower than your knee. So you should always cover your, up your knees and um, you cannot wear anything, you know, you know, very um, sexy in a way. So mm. 
growing up, um, I never had a chances to wear um, short skirts or clothes that I want to wear. Yeah, um, I think a lot of the times um, people always have those stereotypical um, gender norms towards um, women. For example, women have to be, you know, submissive, uh, you know, very um, traditional. Um, taking care of the family, not to care too much about their appearances. Hmm. Yeah, but um, I don't know. As a kid, I was like, um, I don't care about all those. Like, I always want to like challenge them in a way, but I'm like too scared to, you know, argue with them in the faces. It's interesting, and um, you know, I, I can I can kind of re- I can actually relate with you. In the Afghan culture, you have a very similar um, outlook on how how a woman dresses, and especially when you said that they have to a woman have to like serve the family and take care of others, and even till today, because when she pays pays attention to herself, the whole focus shifts away. In, in 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 Afghan culture, you have a very similar. Uh, my mom always used to, you know, she, she's not really fond of me if I even wear now. If I dress skirts or anything, she's like, no, it has to be below the knee, like minimum. And um, I believe that it really derives from the manners that we as young girls are taught by our parents, purely because our culture is so rich in you know the norms and values that we have to uphold continuously like even when i'm living now in london i still maintain the same values i had when i was 12. so Mm -hmm. uh, in in, you know like you said in some ways it's a it's kind of limiting us but in other ways it actually has protected us and represents us in one of the most respectful way Mm Tina, has your parents, have they always been supportive of your journey now that, now that you're living in US? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mine, mine, definitely, they have not. They were really struggling in the beginning, and it was quite tough for them. But now they have a more linear you know, perspective. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, my parents definitely struggled um, at the beginning. But like right now, like they're more understanding. But um. You know, I remembered um, when I was in high school, my parents were a little shocked when they see me becoming, you know, more and more outspoken in high school. Like I did a lot, a lot of public speaking and, you know, hosting the school scala. And um, they actually expect me to be a, you know, quiet kid, like do not, you know, um, <laughs> do not like show up and, um, you know, stand out. You can just mm-hmm. like, average um, kid so nobody will notice you so when it comes to you know choosing majors in college um, they did give me a hard time because I want to study you know film and journalism majors who are you know speaking out for your (laughs) for your stars but they were thinking you know these jobs um, are really hard to find a job in the end so Mm -hmm. um, they were telling me you know you should find a quote-unquote more stable career um, in the media industry Mm. so I did not um, get a chance to study journalism in college and um, so I choose for advertising Um, I know my parents love me very much 
But um, we do often have like different perspectives um, because we have different worldviews. Yeah. But they are more supportive of you now, right? Yeah, um, they're seeing more of my stories um, now and they see me like how hard it yeah. is yeah. on the past. So yeah, I think they're more understanding after seeing my devotion. It's really interesting what you mentioned, Tina, um, that parents really, you know, support you when they see a result um, and that they measure that with success and that feels a safe zone to them and then their attitude just shifts from being against it to being supportive and finally recognizing the identity that you have kind of always had and crafted now more in depth for yourself so it's it's actually really beautiful tina you know um we briefly touched base on this but i love to like talk to you more and go more in depth about the culture the chinese culture and how women are regarded um because in the middle eastern and asian uh, especially in the middle eastern um they are regarded as like the jewels of the household very precious yet fragile and most often the reason why we are not allowed to speak up or represent ourselves like out there or stand on the stage is because um, they see that as a sign of not being submissive to what they need to be. But apart from that, how does the Chinese culture um, look at women and their representation today and, you know, in, in the 21st century. I think this could be um, explained through the fundamental um, Chinese cosmogony um, in and yin. So um, the core elements of um, in and yin involve um, correlative aspects of dark and light, female and male, soft and hard. So mm-hmm. represents, you know, more feminine, um, characteristics where yin is more like masculine and um you know hard um it's like fire strong so Mm -hmm. those deeply rooted um gender connotations um really played um an important role in carrying forward um a lot of traditions and um you know and histories uh, for example, um, women are often found soft, submissive, like water. You know, men are found like strong, masculine. And this reminds me something um, happened recently, um, a couple of years ago. So in 2020, um, the, actually the government is banning the depiction of quote unquote cisim men on TV. So. This man is like a concept um, we've seen in a lot of um, K-pop groups where boys are described as, you know, flower boys. They were like, um, you know, wearing jewelries, um, wearing heavy makeup. And those depictions are criticized um, by the Chinese government. So um, we've seen starting in, um, I would say, four years ago, the government is doing more and more initiatives um, in schools, um, in primary schools, um, asking boys to take more PE classes, for example, mm-hmm. because 
I believe, um, you know, those PE classes can train little boys to be a more masculine man. Well, we, we might think this is like ridiculous, right? But um, this is something that um, I would say deeply rooted um, in the history that uh, men have should be like strong and masculine, and there's no other way um, around. Um, while we've seen like more depictions of you know LGBTQ community on TV and um, in a lot of Western um, cultures, um, China is still um, very traditional. I would say um, when we are coming to dep depicting gender norms. From my understanding, what you just shared with us is that the Chinese. Um, you know, society is very fond of, there's a very clear distinction between being a woman and being a man. And um, and that's how they like to preserve it, is that that's what you meant, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe that's one of the most beautiful things with all due respect to any other genders and anything else. My personal view is like intrinsically women are born to bear a child that's one aspect like that they are given by nature and a man is then you know given the sensibility of providing right and it's just it just goes back to the medieval times like it's to me it's like so fundamental and, and it's actually the way forward so um and it's it's also how Afghanistan looks at women as well. So it's very interesting how Asia, Middle East, you know, have very similar outlooks on uh, gender qualities. So why is it important um, in the Chinese culture? Um, I've, I've I've read a lot of articles, and they are one of the most disciplined, well-educated, well-mannered, and well-dressed. Um, in my view, even when I reviewed a TV shows or series on Netflix, their level of mannerism, Tina, is just an example of mannerism, in my in my opinion, um, which is kind of is very similar to the Middle East as well, but we don't see as many shows. <laughs> Why do you think that's so important for the culture? Right. Um, I will say um, a lot of the depictions are definitely going back to the history. But, um, you know, I've also seen this like a downside in promoting diversity in our cultures because um, we've seen a lot of um, stereotypical Asian characters on TV, for example, um, in The Crazy Rich Asian. Yes. <laughs> often described as as rich rich people and you know sometimes asian are not that not that rich in the united states okay but also like we've seen um asian women often um depicted in two ways one is bossy asian woman and two is very sexy submissive um exotic woman so those are um you know stereotypical images um people often seen in the asian culture but you know as we've seen uh, more uh, movies or we are um wondering when can we produce like a um work that can really represent diverse 
Asian characters.、Um, not even there are so many、um, cultures and countries in Asia, but also like Asian can be very diverse.、Um, we've、mm-hmm. seen queer Asian, we've seen、um, Asian people who can do a lot of different jobs. So not only Asian can only be you know you know doctors,、um, chefs.、Mm-hmm. Also, do become an artist. So、mm-hmm. I think also something touching on my、um, career path because I've always looking for stories that can represent diverse Asian images.、Um, for example, I cover the queer Asian community、um, in the sex industry. I also covered、um, you know a lot of queer Asian artists and also.、Um, Asian women in different backgrounds,、um, for example, in STEM,、um, in technology. So、mm-hmm. yeah,、um, I think、um, we need more diverse voices. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and I agree with you. Couldn't I, I couldn't agree more with you actually? Like as a director for AAJA, the New York chapter, what are your responsibilities apart from covering what you just mentioned? And how does this resonate with you as a person?、Mm-hmm. Mm. As a director of events at Asian American Association,、um, I'm working towards the visibility and inclusion of API journalists in newsroom leadership and accurate coverage of API issues through events, fellowship, and newsletters. So,、um, AJA was founded in 1981 by six Los Angeles-based journalists because they hoped to support one another and encourage more APIs to pursue journalism at a time when there are few API faces in the media. So, looking back on my journey,、um, I always want to highlight unique voices within Asian and Asian American community. I absolutely love the ethos. Of your company, especially because they have such a meaningful、um, purpose behind it, with a clear vision, and you're doing really great. And I love, love reading all the articles you have written so far. Can you think of a time when you thought that you wanted to give up and discontinue with your career and say, you know what, I'm just going to move back to China. This is really not for me. Oh yeah, several times. <laughs> Would say we、um, we have like a little group、um, in New York where a lot of Chinese journalists are, you know, chatting, sharing, <laughs> sharing concerns, but also supporting each other.、Mm. I was it, it is you know harder to become like an international or Chinese journalist in the U.S. these days, not only due to、um, you know the work visa issue, but You know stereotypes and misrepresentation,、um, a lot of culture and language difference, and、um, being able to use、um, bilingual writing and reporting skills to pursue stories that are really unique、um, in the community. It is really hard, but、um, I would say what motivates me to continue is when I see.、Um, Those interview subjects that are being, you know, featured in major magazines, and our voices are brought to mainstream discourse by me, by people like me, are really、um, inspiring. Like we want to see more women、um, in the media, and that's something、um, I think bilingual journalists like me can do.
I mean, because your current projects, um, you know, are already entailing like narratives about cultural minorities, and I think it's just such a beautiful way of representing, like you said, a culture which deserves a platform, deserves a voice. Could you share with us why you depicted this particular niche? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think um, culture perspective are definitely my speciality. Um, mm. Coming from like two backgrounds, um, I can share not only language skills, but also like perspective wise, I have like more to share with my subjects and with the audience. So mm. for example, um, I was doing a feature for Time Magazine um, in 2021, and I was mm-hmm. covering, um, you know, after the pandemic, how has the Asian community has suffered um, through the social isolation and the rising hate crimes, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I found like a very unique group um, in Chinatown in New York, where this is like a ballroom dancing studio but there are a lot of you know elder immigrants coming here every day to not only practice dancing but also you know bonding with those um who have the similar culture backgrounds with them so mm-hmm. i found it very interesting um luckily i do speak mandarin and did know a little bit of the cantonese so i spoke to a lot of the elders in the ballroom dancing studio and they all shared a very very striking stories with me so um, it became like a um, cover story for time magazine for a while um i do believe um i do have those bilingual skills and cultural perspectives to write a story and produce a story like this i think not a lot of um journalists um can you know really using their two language skills to pursue a story like this so i would definitely encourage more and more international journalists and bilingual journalists to pursue stories that are unique to your own culture backgrounds unique to your own cultural backgrounds that's exactly why i'm having this conversation with you because i do believe the power in culture lays way deeper than possibly anything could. And it really brings out all our superpowers, especially yours right now. So uh, thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting what you mentioned about, you know, they come together and they sing and dance. So, I mean, they're far from home, so they're trying to bring the community the best way possible, right? Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is really celebrating their moments and giving them a platform. I think that's beautiful job you're doing Tina beautiful job you're working within the media industry for a very long time now especially reporting stories and you know continuously researching reading just making sure that everything also relates realistically correct mm-hmm. um, now you also work with a within the boardroom now as a woman that enters a boardroom when is she regarded highly when you like for example when you're entering a boardroom how are you perceived by your um you know co-workers like because mm-hmm. there's all this agenda of no she's just a woman even though she's a director it's fine um but then there's the other side that you said 
when you're be- you're becoming a bit more savvy and you know what you want to say and you're confident in what you want to say then they take take you seriously so it, if you could share with us how your experience is as a as a director within um i mean this is an important question because women occupy just 20% of board seats globally and continue to be excluded from the highest levels of corporate leadership um i'm just citing a 2022 survey by deloitte um and you know throughout the history women were taught to be submissive and tame so women of color um especially are afraid to speak out in conference if her ideas are different from the male boardroom and um you know if it's like really hard for you to you know speak out it's probably this is not a safe space for you to really being the leader and change maker mm-hmm. so you know, um I'm always like um having conversations with my um fellow female friends and um they were telling me it is really hard if you're like the only woman um on the table and even if your positions are you know, higher than others um people may not listen to you So I would say this is something that really come back to the um safe space. For example, when I was um working in AJA, it is like a really inclusive um space where it embraces different um ideas either from people from different ethnicities, gender identities, origins to speak their feelings. So, you know, if it is not a safe space for you to speak out i would say um not to be afraid of to leave um the safe space cuz usually a lot of the times when you leave the safe space you may find you may enter like a new world where you can be the leader <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so yeah it's never too late or too afraid to leave um a space if you are not feeling right has there been a time when you you know spoke your mind in front of your male colleagues in in the boardroom has that ever happened before um let's see i feel like i've never been the only woman um in the room but i might have been the only you know asian in the room mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. your voices may not be heard you know what i would do was you know definitely highlight your voice several times or yes. even up with like an email afterwards um to share your ideas but also like talking to your um DI committee or initiatives in your companies or mm-hmm. in your people to seek help um you should have, you should always to seek help um from community members who are sharing the similar culture um or identity backgrounds with you. I think they're always there to help. You know what's very intriguing Tina is that 10 years or 20 years ago this this mm-hmm. was a this was a major case. This was this was like an issue that was still that it was an issue that needed to be resolved and in 21st century 2023 we're still facing the same issues. Right, uh, right. It's and that maybe has caused not maybe actually in fact has caused so many female entrepreneurs with their own startups and their own pursuits because at the end of the day if we spend 80% or 90% of our work 
90% of our time in work, then we want to feel appreciated, understood, not necessarily praised all the time, but just the fact that we understood and heard is very important. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your career, it's your life. Before, I mean, before your career, it's your life, it's a choice you have to make. Um, and I think we as women are quite scared most of the time to take that choice, take that route and be brave enough to say, okay, you know what, my heart desires to do this right now or say this right now. Not in a rude, in a, in a disrespectful way, but where it's more appropriate to say something. So um, I think it's so important to follow your choice. Tina, what were your three lessons you learned so far from your journey um, as a journalist and also actually living in the US by yourself? Three most valuable lessons. I would say first is to always stay curious because um, as a storyteller, you always want to capture stories that are unique. And um, for example, when I was going out with my friends to like a flea market or to arts exhibition, I can always find stories there. Um, I would feature a street artist. Um, I will feature like um, a person that I met on the street one day. So mm. you would never know what happened. Um, so always stay curious and stop. Do not stop learning. And also, mm. Second one is always stay empathetic. Um, you know, we've seen stories every day and um, and sometimes you may forget what brought you here. And if you are, you know, listen to stories from people from different backgrounds and um, you should always find um, how to resonate with the general audience, mm. um, you know, We've interviewing people um, from different, you know, community, culture, gender backgrounds. But um, how do I find the um, how do I find the similarity between me and her? And um, how do I share this empathy with more people? I think that's also um, very important. I think that also leads to the third advice, which is you know always be humane. Mm -hmm. um, now, as like a person, as a reporter, as a journalist, as a woman leader, um, you've seen people every day and um, you always want to tell a story about a human in the end. Um, we've often seen um, journalists from business technology background, but at the end, they're not, you know, covering about a group of numbers. They're covering the story of a human. Mm -hmm. So I um, to be a successful storyteller, you should always, um, you know, speaking for people who are, you know, in the underrepresented backgrounds and people who need help. I like when you mentioned the fact uh, that you need to be curious and how you found stories just, you know, by meeting people. I think that's just so intricate and so beautiful. Um, not only do you enjoy your career and your journey, but you meet, you know, amazing people along the way that just nourishes what you do, your content. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you for sharing that, Tina. You know about, you mentioned about technology very briefly. 
what do you think the future of journalism will hold now that AI and mm -hmm. chat GBT is on the rise? What is your <laughs> professional thoughts and perspective on this? Yeah, this is a very timely question, you know, um, with a lot of layoffs from the media industry, sadly. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is definitely, um, AI is definitely on the rise, um, you know, but I think for um, writers and um, journalists, um, the question is, we should not, um, you know, think of AI as our enemy, but think of it as our helper, as our mm -hmm. assistant. Um, we've known um, some newsrooms are using AIs to, you know, help reporters in the reporting process, you know, think of it as like a prompt generator, a story idea generator. So that's not something that um, is going to compete with us um, in the near future because AIs cannot do, you know, you know, very creative writing where AIs cannot do replace an in-person interview. So this is something that um, a lot of the writers and journalists should not be worried about. But mm -hmm. um, definitely think of AI as a helper. Um, how can it help you with reporting and how could you, you know, save time for you in some transcribing work so that you can focus more um, on how to communicate, connect with your interview subjects, which is, you know, humane <laughs> to be humane. On the note of AI, I know every one of us use social media, and this is a question I'm actually asking everyone. If you were to implement one rule on Instagram, let's take Instagram as an example of social media, <laughs> <laughs> what would it be and why? Mm, that's a really good one. Um, one rule for social media, right? Um, like for Instagram. Yeah, if you were yeah. to... Let's say if you have a conversation with uh, Instagram right now and you were, you can choose one rule you can implement, what would it be? Mm. I would say I would definitely want to see um, more content on um, people's um, authentic um, reactions or voices to different topics because I've overheard some um people are saying um sometimes instagram are blocking some comments or reviews um so i would definitely want to see authentic um responses from people that are not bound by you know politics and all that um yeah definitely that um yeah and um if we can see more um stories or functionality where people can really you know connect with each other in person but also mm -hmm. like uh you know little protection um that would be great um yeah wow i like that one um like you mean actually connecting not just going live but going to someone's profile and connecting i really like that one maybe ai can help us oh yeah definitely <laughs> But you're right about the rule um, that they're commenting and deleting or blocking, actually, the new future that came out. Mm -hmm. Quite clever. They did. Very clever. Tina, if you were to sit opposite your 18-year-old self today, mm -hmm. imagine, mm -hmm. what would you tell her? Oh, wow. Um, 
So going back, um, I would tell her to dream big. So I would say ten years ago, I would never imagine. I will be a journalist in the U.S. Um, voicing for people's stories.、Um, mm-hmm. I would never think about that, but you know, here I am, and I'm、um, producing more stories、um, for underrepresented communities. So, yeah,、mm-hmm. I think I would do. <laughs> I think this is something that I would never imagine, and I want every 18-year-old to dream big. And、um, you will never know what happened one day. You know, women like us from the Middle East and Asia, we are. In my opinion, underrepresented within the media, and coming from a country, especially me from Afghanistan, knowing that the limits are quite confined, and to be able to dream big is really the freedom that we are after for ourselves. So I'm proud of you,、um, and proud of where we are at this moment, and every single other woman. Who lives in another another country and really is pursuing her career, her aspiration, her you know following up with her culture and really pushing through. I think that's such a strength that we have, and we always keep moving forward. And we need, you know what? We actually never make excuses for things. We always see it as it is, and we feel blessed that we have it. So. It's such a beautiful thing to share. Thank you. Yeah, so are you? Because、um, I think something that、um, I want to add is, you know, women like us from、um, underrepresented backgrounds, and、um, we've often seen people are saying, you know, we are minority groups, but、mm-hmm. they're. Minor about you know being a woman of color in the industry. There's nothing minor about、um, being a you know international in the in the、um, country. I think、um, we should always、um, I would say bring bring our voices to the mainstream discourses, so people won't say we are minor, we are mainstream. Wow. Wow, Tina, I love it. We are not minor; we are mainstream, and there's nothing minor about us. I couldn't have put it better in words. You're just simply brilliant in, in the way you just described it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your authenticity, and more so, standing up for the voices there in the community and across the world, and the fact that you're still. In New York, and you're still pushing forward. You're enjoying your journey. I just want to say, well done, and thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Lida. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did, especially learning about Chinese culture and how women are perceived within the media, in the household, which is exactly what this podcast is about. And I hope it inspired you and you learn more from it. And、uh, different perspectives. Our next guest will be a woman who lost her leg at the age of 15. Now she's from Lebanon and she lives in the UAE. Stay tuned until next time to hear more about her story. And please don't forget to subscribe for yourself 
and keep learning more wisdom, more representation about women in media today.